Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the Gospel according to Luke, uh, chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 25 through 56. You can find that selection on page 1177 in your pew Bible. While we'll be reading from Luke 1, 25 to 56, we'll especially be focusing our attention this morning upon the Song of Mary, as you find that in verses 46 through 56. But we begin reading at verse 25 of the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. And hear now the word of the Lord. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for who, her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. And thus far for this morning, our reading from the word of God. 
people of God, I would ask you this morning, by way of introduction, uh, one simple question. What is your soul, what is your soul saying this morning, even right now? What is your soul, that center spiritual component of your very person? What is your soul saying? Uh, the soul speaks. The soul of every single person speaks. It speaks in a variety of ways. There is, of course, the audible, verbal expression uh, through the mouth of the soul. And so you can perhaps think of the words that you have used in song. Also, the words that you used in the morning hours of this very day. The words that you used in the week gone past, what do they say? Uh, the soul not only speaks verbally through the mouth, but the soul also speaks in an unaudible voice, in what we might refer to as the conscience, or our own internal thoughts. Uh, those very real words, but those unspoken words that are there within our mind. Even now as we sit here, in the corporate worship service, no doubt our minds have been filled with thoughts comprised of in words. So what did our soul say as we entered into the house of the Lord our God? There's also the expression of our soul in our very attitudes. Uh, the unspoken words but those attitudes, those inclinations of our very inner being. May I ask you this morning, what does your attitude say? What does your conscience say? What does your voice say? Mary's voice magnified the Lord. And I trust and I hope and I pray that our voices also magnify the Lord. But for the encouragement of that, I want to consider this initial response to the announcement of the advent or the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we indicated last Sunday morning, as we looked at what you might say the basic understanding of the Incarnation. Our plan was, through this Advent season, uh, to look at some of the various songs of response to the pronouncement uh, that a Savior would be born. And so this morning we come to Mary's response as she reflects upon the revealed truth to her that the Incarnation would take place. Uh, and her response, although unique to her, as the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is also instructive for all of us as followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we look this morning at our theme, the Song of Mary, and we look first of all at the source of the song, and then secondly, the focus of the song, and then thirdly, the reason for the song. So the Song of Mary, the source, and then the focus, and then the reason. 
So consider with me this morning, first of all, the source of this song. It comes from the person of Mary, uh, but also from the very soul of Mary. Now, many of us are well familiar with who Mary is and of her pivotal, essential role in the plan of redemption as the mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who conceived underneath the supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, But a few things to remind ourselves of this morning concerning the person of Mary. First of all, her lineage. She was a descendant of David. Uh, You find this mentioned in verse 27. Uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And that of the house of David, yes, it applies to Joseph, but it also applies to Mary. And this is, of course, insightful because of the promise, the covenant promise that had been given to David and to his house, as you find that recorded in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Uh, There the Lord speaks to David and says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And so in the history of redemption, if we understand uh, what is taking place as the covenant promise is given and then is gradually realized, uh, the Savior, the Mediator the King of kings and the Lord of lords who would accomplish the salvation of his people would come in the line of David. And no doubt every young uh, woman of Davidic lineage would have perhaps thought to herself, is it I who will bring forth the Deliverer? But if Mary had those thoughts, they were confirmed when the angel comes and says, indeed, it is you, Mary a daughter of David, who will bring forth the son of David, of Davidic lineage. Notice also her moral purity. Now by this we do not mean her sinlessness. Mary was indeed a sinner, a sinner saved by her Savior. But by moral purity, uh, here we have uh, in mind this concept, this truth, this reality that she was as of yet an unmarried woman who had conducted herself in moral purity. And how important that moral purity is. But how instructive it is that this moral purity highlights the supernatural conception of the human nature of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the Christianity congregation is based upon supernatural events. Mary conceived a very real human nature, but she did so without the involvement of any human biological father. She conceived as the Holy Spirit created conception. And so we have a young woman of the line of David, unmarried and yet morally pure, finding herself with child. Notice the message that she receives as it gives further explanation because no doubt this would have caused many a question in Mary's mind and within Mary's soul. A question uh, that she expresses uh, when You notice verse 29, she was troubled at his saying that is the angels and considered what manner of greeting this was. How how can this be, was her question. How can I, a young, unmarried, 
morally pure woman be found with child. And the angel, especially in verse 31 through 33, gives a heavenly revelation. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary has a question, how can this be? Uh, but the answer, uh, to a certain extent, is given by the angel in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born of you will be called the Son of God. And as Mary receives this message, her soul reacts now, within the Bible, soul and heart are used synonymously, not, of course, to refer to that physical organ, but rather the spiritual component of our very existence. And human nature is comprised of, yes, a body formed of the dust originally, but also of a soul breathed into man by God Himself. And Mary's soul, that very central spiritual essence rejoices. And the soul is so vitally important, even though by our culture it is overlooked and misunderstood. Proverbs 27, verse 19, a man's heart reveals the man. It's not the external that ultimately reveals the essence of a person. And as we age, perhaps we are thankful for that truth. But just a word of application for those who are older, but also those who are young. So much of our attention is given to our external appearance. But that's not the essence of who you are. The essence of who you are is what is found in your soul, in your heart. You can do all sorts of cosmetic work with the external. But what of your soul? And you can learn a certain external form of interaction with people that can disguise what's really inside. But it's really what's inside that matters. Especially when it comes to the response of the pronouncement of the Incarnation. And that's why it emphasizes the song of Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. We are perhaps reminded of Psalm 103, verse 1, where the psalmist says, bless the Lord. And what does he say? Bless the Lord, my hands, my mouth, my feet. All of that, of course, is included in the comprehensive Christian life, but the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And that's exactly what Mary is doing. Perhaps in her mind she has a recollection of Psalm 103. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. As she then begins to reflect upon the benefits that the Lord, her God, gives her. And so I want to simply ask you this morning, as I also ask myself, is your soul rejoicing this morning? Is your soul filled with joy, with gladness? Isn't it absolutely remarkable that it is possible for people to go through the entire Advent season 
and to talk and to sing and to think about the incarnation and still have a lack of joy within their soul. If we really understand the advent, the pronouncement of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we really understand who He is and what He has done, if we really understand something of the truth that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, then we have to imitate to a certain extent, no, not the experience of Mary, that is unique, in her conception of the human nature of Jesus Christ, but we have to imitate her response to the pronouncement that there is a Savior. And our soul has to say, yes, my soul also magnifies the Lord. But notice in our second point, as I leave that question for your consideration, does your soul magnify the Lord? Notice the focus of the song. And this is informative for why Mary's soul rejoices. My soul magnifies. And if you look very carefully at verse 46, notice the object. My soul magnifies the Lord. So often we are so prone to magnify ourselves. To magnify who we are what we have done, our rights, our privileges, what we think that we deserve. But Mary recognizes her lowly position in and of herself. She recognizes that she is uh, but the maidservant, verse 48, of her God, her Savior. And so the entirety of her focused attention, even though you can about imagine all of the complexities that there would be for her, given her position now, a young, unmarried woman found with child. There would have been an enormous amount of uncertainties. The social questions would have quickly been asked. The rumor mill would have started stirring promptly. But Mary is granted the privilege of having one exclusive focus upon the Lord, upon the person of God and the work of God. And congregation, God is always worthy to be praised because of who He is. We want to start there. We'll get eventually to praising God for what He has done, but we begin first and foremost, God is worthy to be praised because of who He is. And He's unchangeable in His very nature. And if you ever have a, a Sunday morning, if you ever have a season in your life, if you ever have a time in which you wonder, well, what can I give thanks for today? It's simply this, God is God. He's the one only true God, eternal and infinite in all of His perfections. He is the God of heaven. He is the God of earth. He is the God who has created all things. He is the God who has sustained all things. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she goes on with parallelism, poetic parallelism, and my spirit has rejoiced in God. And we'll get to just a moment that phrase, my Savior, but just notice the title God. 
And in this title, God, there are, of course, these characteristics or attributes. And in the Song of Mary, she focuses especially upon three characteristics. His might, or what we might say his power, his omnipotence, his holiness, his infinite majesty and moral purity, and also then his mercy. So Mary has her eyes of faith fixed upon the being of God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she comes to know and to recognize his power, his might. And that causes her to magnify the Lord. And it also ought to cause us to magnify the Lord. To say, great is our God. He has infinite power. And not only does he have infinite power, but he's also an infinitely holy God. So that there should be something in us that imitates Isaiah 6 when Isaiah by way of a vision, sees the Lord. And and how does Isaiah see the Lord? Not struggling with the reins of human history. Not perplexed as he sits enthroned in the heavens with the activities upon earth. But Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, surrounded by angelic beings who have to cover their faces as they cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And my prayer and my desire for myself personally and for this congregation is that we would also, through the Word of God, not through some extra-biblical experience, but through the Word of God, that we would have something of the same understanding, the same perception. That when confronted with the realities of human life, we would say, yes, we understand those realities and we experience those realities, but we do so knowing that God is in the heavens, and He is a mighty God, and He is a holy God. But that in and of itself would only cause us to tremble with apprehension, and so Mary adds a third chord to her song as she reflects in verse 50 upon the mercy of the Lord. And what is mercy? It is this compassionate attitude of pity a condescending favor. And there's a wonderful balance. And and rightly understood, this is what makes theological study and theological reflection so profitable. There's a wonderful balance between God's transcendence. He's high and lifted up. But if Mary would have stopped there, well, then you have some unapproachable deity. But she also focuses upon his imminence, his closeness. And that's his characteristic of mercy. And all of these are bound up in the incarnation. The divine nature, imminence, rather transcendence, glory, infinite power, the human nature, made like unto us in all points with the exception of sin. My soul magnifies the Lord because of his might, because of his holiness, but also because of his mercy. Do we know something of an appreciation for those three attributes? If we grasp something of this, it will transform our life and it will transform our soul. It will transform our attitudes. It will transform our words. It will transform our actions. And she is led further, Mary is, 
into her contemplation upon the work of God. The attributes of God are seen in His work. Uh, So the might, the holiness, and the mercy of God is seen especially in the Incarnation. Uh, Notice that the Incarnation brings a certain benefit to those who fear the Lord. Uh, You'll notice there in verse 50, and His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Because on the behalf of those who fear the Lord, the Lord accomplishes salvation through the provision and for the remembrance of His mercy. Verses 54 and 55 all refer back to this covenant promise that the Lord said, I will be your God and you will be my people. Well, how was that to be accomplished through the provision of him which we read of in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, the Prince of Peace. Now we know from the rest of the gospel narratives that Mary did not perfectly understand all of these things. There was a an element of ignorance in her understanding concerning the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that's seen even uh, in his first miracle, the changing of water into wine. But Mary had faith. Mary had faith in Jesus Christ. And this ought to be a note of encouragement. Mary's faith was not perfect, but it was faith. It was faith in Jesus Christ and in his work, especially as that is found in verse 54 in that word, helped. He has helped. Through the work of salvation, through the work of a substitutionary mediator, the Lord, the covenant-making God, has helped his people, those who fear him. And may I ask you this morning also, in connection to what does your soul say? May I ask you this question, do you fear God? Not with some trembling anxiety of the threats of eternal damnation. Although if you hear these words as an unbeliever, That is your future apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore I call upon you to repent and to believe. But I'm asking more in connection with a childlike reverence and trust. Do you fear God? Those who begin to understand the mercy of the Lord are those who are characterized by this childlike reverence and trust. Mary feared the Lord her God. And because she feared him with this childlike reverence and trust, she magnified him. In a similar way, now we move then to the third point, the reason for the song, to look a little bit closer in conclusion upon the exercise of faith. This is why Mary sang. It was exercising her faith. And I want to be careful, because I know personally, in an experiential way, not all of us are gifted 
with the ability to sing well. But if I may be honest with pastoral love, it greatly bothers me when some members in the congregation do not sing. And don't immediately try to think, well, I wonder who he's referring to. I don't have anyone in particular in mind. And I know there are occasions that maybe your throat is sore, maybe you're struggling with a bit of a seasonal illness. But have you ever seen someone in corporate worship and they don't sing? I have in mind now that I speak of this, no one in this congregation, no one even connected to this congregation, but I have in mind a funeral committal service and a group of people standing around a casket and we announced the singing of the doxology and there were many people who never opened their mouth. And I thought, why, why don't they sing? Why don't some people sing in the worship service? The soul that begins to recognize the wonder of God's mercy can't help but sing. And again, I, can, I confess that I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but I, I can't help but sing. And thankfully, I have about 30 feet between myself and, and you, so you don't have to hear me sing. But should we not sing? Behold what our God has done. He has remembered His mercy. And in His might and in His holiness, He has provided help for us who are helpless. And if we're properly focused upon who our God is and what He has done, then there ought to be holy reverberations from this congregation and from the people of God wherever they find themselves. And while those who have the gifts and talents can find the perfect tune and the perfect harmony and the perfect pitch, those of us who God has seen fit to not bless for those privileges, let us all together present a, a holy melody singing to the Lord our God, because that's what faith does. Mary sings because Mary has faith. She knows the Lord as her Savior. She is confident in the Lord and in her Savior. And in the exercise of faith, she appreciates salvation. We're not going to spend time going against the Mariolatry, the the worship of Mary, the veneration of Mary. Just simply say that we don't worship Mary, we don't venerate Mary. Mary is not some type of co-mediator. She has no role in the appeasement of our God. She has a role in the accomplishment of redemption, but not in the provision of an atoning sacrifice. Mary appreciated the reality of salvation you see this in verse 47 and 48 with this phrase, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. Mary knew that she needed a Savior. And she knew that she had a Savior. 
And when a person understands those basic realities, then their soul cannot help but magnify the Lord. As she further reflects upon verse 48, her God and her Savior has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. As we draw to a close, sadly, many, many, many a person has missed the Advent expectation and has missed the meaning of the Incarnation because of pride. Because of pride. Thinking too much and thinking too often of self. You can think initially of Herod. Why did he not go and worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Pride. He had his own kingdom. He could not tolerate a rival. Why did so many of the religious leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees not worship the incarnate Savior? Pride. They had their own spiritual credentials. They had no need of a Savior. They were quite content in and of themselves. But when a person begins to understand their lowly position as a person in need of a Savior, that's connected to the exercise of faith. And that's connected to the expression of magnifying the Lord. So let us reflect together upon Mary and ask again the question, what does your soul say? Does it magnify the Lord or does it magnify yourself? Amen.